0: You might recall last year you heard the remarkable story of Tracy Mears, Springfield High School graduate who was recognized in 1984, the year she graduated, as a, quote, top student, but was not actually declared the valedictorian, even though she was, in fact, the valedictorian of her graduating class. It's an extraordinary story that remains stunning decades later. But bringing it to light has also brought that story full circle. Tracy was officially given that title of valedictorian last year, and today she was inducted into the Springfield High School Hall of Fame. We are honored to welcome Springfield High School graduate and Walton Hale Hamilton professor of law and co-director of the Justice Collaboratory at Yale University, Tracy Mears, into the studio. And thank you for being here, and congratulations. Thank welcome. you. It's an extraordinary story, and what a, a great uh, conclusion. Well, conclusion to this point uh, of it today. But let's go back to the beginning of this. For people who don't recall, uh, or you know, or maybe remember vaguely the documentary from last year, have heard the story. Uh, but just remind everyone again what what exactly happened because it's still astonishing to think about it. Uh, in the '80s seemed like a long time ago, but they also seem kind of seem just like yesterday. How did this all happen? That you were the valedictorian, but weren't declared the valedictorian?
1: Well how did it happen, Jim? I don't know (laughs) how it happened, um, but I can tell you what was happening from my perspective. So um, from my perspective, I was told when I was a junior that I was on track uh, to have the highest grade point average of my graduating class and therefore would be named valedictorian. And Um, The conversation that I had with my guidance counselor during my junior year was, uh, uh, I was just telling a good friend of mine this, it was one of those, you know, buckle down and be serious uh, because, you know, you want to make sure that that you have this lockdown. So my senior year in high school, I buckled down and really studied and I got all A's and I had um, very, what was called then high weight classes. I had... All AP classes, essentially. So I did the calculation myself. Like, I knew the person who was closest to me, who wasn't in any of my classes, even if she got all A's, there was no way um, she could catch me. And... Then that
0: was most of my math work in high school was calculating the GPA and figuring out who I was ahead <laughs> of and behind it. You know, so yeah, I, I the, know exactly the, how the that competition goes yeah. <laughs> that you're
1: engaged in when you're seventeen yeah. um, actually at, at that time, I was actually sixteen. Um, I didn't turn seventeen until I, until January. so the second semester um, in the spring, you know we're about to graduate, and I learned that the person who was behind me was being sort of paraded around to Different organizations, local organizations, and my parents looked into it. Um, and then shortly after that, we were told that there would be no valedictorian um, of our high school class. And, you know, other things ensued. You can read about it yeah. in the Springfield Journal Register, among other places. People Magazine had a story. Um, but the other, another thing that they did that was incredibly odd was we were sent a, a newsletter after graduation um, that listed first the, the 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 school created what they called an A honor roll, which had never existed before, um, and the people who got all A's were on the A honor roll, um, which included this person. I did not get all A's. Um, <laughs> but I didn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then below that, they're like, and here, by the way, is a list of people who have so the highest grade point ever.
0: You <laughs> weren't even on the A honor roll. Right. Uh, and yeah. you mentioned they were parading another student around, so going to different civic organizations and things. That's
1: what but, I was told. But I mean, you, I wasn't but you there. weren't
0: taken along to those no, events. No, I was not. Um, the other person in question was white, correct? Yes.
1: She still is. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Um, (laughs) What did you understand at the time versus now your understanding of it today? I mean, did did it register at the time what was happening? I was
1: just confused, you know. I I was confused. I didn't understand what was going on. My parents probably had a lot of clarity about it uh, at the time. Um, It was just strange, you know. And to be honest, Jim, to you know, to think about what I remembered as a 17 year old now, you know, almost however many years, don't even want to do that math. Um, you know, the, my, my memory of what happened of course is, is mixed in with my greater understanding of, of, um, you know, how bias works and how structural discrimination works and, the, the role that this piece of information played in a subsequent voting rights case, um, it, you know, yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard to separate that out. But the 17-year-old girl was confused and hurt and couldn't understand why um, officials at the school would want to do this when I really loved... Springfield High School and had a great time and, you know, felt supported and loved by my teachers and my friends.
0: Well, and it's hard for, for the rest of us even now to come to grips with the fact that this could happen in, in our community in our lifetimes. You know, this is the sort of thing you, you think about happening in the 30s or the 40s or the 50s, but this is it's in our own past happening to our peers. And it's, uh, it's very frustrating to think about, and now, of course, the, the stories come out, and we know what really happened here. And there have been attempts to make amends. Last year, you were officially declared the valedictorian, as you rightfully were. Uh, today, inducted into the Springfield High School Hall of Fame. And this was your first time back in the school building since since your graduation?
1: Almost. Almost, okay. Um, I did come back in, uh, during my freshman year. In college, to speak to my then English teacher Bernice Rappel, because I had gotten an A on an English paper in college, and um, I wanted to show her. It's a pretty nerdy <laughs> thing to do, um, but I went, and I also wanted to talk to my math teacher, Mr. Dooley. I think I know bernice rappel died because i remember when that happened i think yeah. last year um i understand that mr Dooley has passed i believe so, yeah. out there mr Dooley. hi huh? sorry no, I,
0: I think actually uh, just a few months ago in fact oh, really? but um huh. uh how did it feel to be back in the school today uh, can you walk back in there yeah. knowing what you've accomplished since then and we'll talk about that in a moment but knowing you know where you've gone and where life has taken you but still knowing what what happened within those walls what's it like to go back in the building
1: yeah um So I have for years not wanted to go back. Um, In fact, one time my sister, who's always doing things to me, uh, (laughs) like this film, (laughs) Um, she wanted to do an interview. I don't even know what that interview was about. But anyway, she wanted to do it on the steps of the high school. This is almost, it's got to be like a decade ago. Was it only five years ago? It feels like it was a long time ago. Anyway, I didn't want to go. Um, I didn't want to be there, you know. So I, I had real uh, aversive feelings about that place. But today, um, I've, I, you know, was like, you know, let me, let me see what this is. Let me walk these halls. Let me um, try to connect with the kid that I was then, because. As I said, I, I liked high school. I yeah. was one of those weirdos. <laughs> Had a good time. I was not an angsty teen,
0: really. And you're still in contact with some of your friends. Yes. One of your friends from high school is actually here with you today. And yeah, so you and still- I'm really
1: happy she was there with me yeah. today. I actually think that made a, a huge difference, um, that she was walking the halls with me, and we, you know, walked through different rooms and pointed out who was there. And, you know, I didn't. It was nice not to feel alone.
0: I got to say you're a better person than I am because I think I I would, in a similar situation, not only be wanting to go back and say, hey, look at me now. I'm at Yale. I have a Wikipedia page. I I don't think I could could let it go as easily as you have. But I don't think. I haven't let it go. Let's talk about that, because I don't think it's coincidence that you have really devoted your life's work to justice and to uh, ensuring that, that justice can happen, even if it's not immediate, even if it's delayed by years or, or even decades. And uh, so how how did those experiences from back then lead you to where you are today?
1: Are we at therapy right now?
0: <laughs> That's what talk radio really is. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> yeah. And 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 I'm not even paying you. So this is good. Um. I don't know. It, I, I had a reporter last year and uh, there was a story in the Washington Post about this and who asked me whether what I do today is connected to, you know, this incident. I never really thought about it that way. I don't know. Um, I feel often that my choice and my path is guided more by, you know, my grandparents and my parents' lives and, and their example than my own, Personal experience, but um, it is true that when you look at the work that I do and the research that I do, there's definite, definitely resonances between that work and you know how I would analyze or go about um, what happened today. You know, the fact that there was um, a recognition uh, of a past harm is a central tenet of. The work I've done in policing, it's really important for representatives of of an agency today to acknowledge wrongdoing and harm done by people who are not them then, but still represent the, the same agency. Like, someone has to do it. <laughs> that's that's incredibly important. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I do think there's a connection, but I don't know that I can answer the question of whether and how I think about my experience leading to what I do.
0: It, as I said at the beginning, the 80s seemed like a long time ago, but it's within our lifetimes. It, it's really you know, kind of a blip you know, in, in history. <laughs> and um, is, is that just an artifact of its time? What happened to you? Or, or could that, and does it still play out like that today?
1: You know, one of the most interesting, um, sad and moving aspects of this experience has been all of the people who write to me and say, this happened to me or this happened to my mother or, um, you know, I was interviewed by somebody who writes, I think, for the Illinois Times. Mm-hmm. I don't know that person's name. Uh, okay. <laughs> Apparently, his name is Scott Reader. And... <laughs> Um, he was telling me that he had read uh, a story about this happening, happening to a young black woman in Galveston, Texas, 10 years after the thing, the incident that happened to me. So that would have been in the nineties. I mean, you know, so yes, pretty contemporary
0: As we noted, you are uh, the Walton Hale Hamilton Professor of Law. You're the co-director of the Justice Collaboratory at Yale, and you have done extensive work in policing and and criminal justice reform. And if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you about that a little bit because it's an an ongoing issue uh, in our country. Here locally, you may have heard about not just uh, with policing, but actually with EMTs charged with murder here for allegedly mistreating uh, a black man in their care just a couple of months ago. And that that case is is still ongoing. So these are issues that... That play out in a lot of different levels here what what do we need as a, as a society to, to think about or to do or to work toward to try to address some of these issues, some of these disparities?
1: Yeah um,
0: Nice easy question to wrap up the interview with
1: <laughs> It's a it's actually to be honest, it's not a hard question for me to answer. It's just a, it's a complex, question that has multiple parts. So, you know, I will start with what I've done recently, which I don't think is the answer, and I'll move to something that I think is closer to an answer. So, you know, the research that I've done for the last 20 years looks at how people understand the fairness of legal authorities, and, you know, it focuses on making sure that people have voice and are treated with dignity and respect and are able to identify um, what we call indicia of fairness and decision-making, transparency, decisions-based in fact, um, being able in their interactions with a legal authority to believe that that authority believes that they count. And people make those assessments by how they're treated more than the outcomes that those authorities produce. So that research was the basis, actually, of the report that I, along with 10 other people, produced for the um, president's task force on 21st century policing for President Obama. But that is such a real small part of what needs to be done. I mean, if we're going to make real headway on public safety, we need to do two things. First... We need to understand that safety is not just about reducing violence or addressing crime, but it's about understanding all the aspects that people require to feel safe. So access to clean water during the middle of a pandemic when you have to wash your hands, um, access to decent housing, food security, health care, and so on are all aspects of safety. Experiencing violence is just a symptom of safety deprivation. And once you understand that, then the second thing you have to understand, I think, is that government, I believe, um, you know, state and local government especially, have an obligation to provide every individual equal access to the goods of safety. And we don't do that. Um, We're really bad at it. Um, We expect people to provide it for themselves when all sorts of other people historically have been given government support to have access to that. And then we blame people, usually people disproportionately, people of color, for their lack of access um, to goods that other people have been given freely.
0: This is an important conversation, and I wish we had more time, but you've been more than generous with your time, and I want to thank you for it and want to congratulate you again on today, now uh, in the Springfield High School Hall of Fame, all your important work uh, at Yale and in the national arena on this important topic. Thank you again so much, and uh, we do appreciate your time. Tracy Mears in studio with us this afternoon.